What's up, nerds? Holy shit! Welcome oh to God. fucking Region Free, the best podcast on planet Earth. Well, I'm I'm so I'm so amped, I'm so goddamn excited uh, that I peaked my sound waves on Audacity as I'm looking here right now. Maybe I do have to switch over to Reaper. Hardly know her. Uh, we're yes, we're sir, in the month of July. That won't, that won't help you for peaking. That's a that's a you problem. You're telling me I can't just scream on Reaper. I've got a new uh, audio audio editing platform. You you do have probably deeper audio controls on Reaper, yes, but it would still be peaked. Wow, there's so many things that I could make jokes about there, but I'm not going to because I simply don't have the time because this is a fucking barn burner of an episode on yes, our sir. podcast here. Uh, it's the first week of July. You're listening to this on July 7th, and you better be because as soon as this episode fucking drops in your Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play library, you better be hitting play on those episodes. I don't care what you're doing. Drop everything. Um, it's July, and we are dedicating this month, the next four episodes of this show, to one of our shared loves, one of the greatest screen actors of all time, Chloe Sevigny. You already know, if you listen to our last episode, we talked about the films that we're going to be covering, and I'm, I'm, I'm speeding through all of this because the film that we were talking about today, 1995's Larry Clark's Kids, mm-hmm. is, I have it on good authority, Blake Hester's favorite movie of all time. Against... <laughs> all better judgments <laughs> it is yeah it's my favorite movie of all time is i would wager um probably the movie i've seen the most up there with like ichi the killer but mm. i think kids cr- probably beats it out because i try to watch kids at least once a year and ichi i think there's a few years i've missed though i would say not that it super matters but kids i, I don't know if is one of the like foundational films for me Mm, interesting it came a it came a few years later than others but then it became very important to me for reasons we can talk about well give it to me straight when did you first encounter this film oh man okay so i well one of the foundational films for me was gummo which i saw on demand on on the sundance on demand channel that we had on i don't know what it would have been direct tv something like that Oh, the um, IFC Sundance combo. I yeah. remember this channel. Mm-hmm. Portlandia was on yep. there. Yes, yes, yes. Portlandia never liked that show. There Missed was some it. real kind of softcore porno stuff you could watch yeah. after like 10 yeah. p.m. on there. Hell there yeah. was some, There, I think there was also like a, a bunch of like Asian horror films on there. There's like, I remember watching a movie, I think it was called Abnormal Beauty that stuck in my brain for a long time. Anyway. I, think, I uh, feel like that's a recognizable title. Yeah, it was part of the Tartan Extreme. It took me years to finally track it down. I saw it at a movie store not too long ago, and I looked at it. I was like, this movie looks like dog shit, so I didn't buy it. <laughs> um, anyway, Gummo was like such a foundational film for me when I was like 14 or 15, but kids had like kind of missed me. You know, like I was really into the the idea of Harmony Korean. I, you know, had seen, I think, like Spring Breakers when that came out a few years later. But uh, kids, I don't know. I just was not fully aware of it. Until until I was, and I can't remember the exact lineage, but this is like some Louisville lore here for you. One of the early Knocked Loose shirts has a screenshot of the four little kids smoking on it. Wow. Uh, Javier Nunez is one of those. He's a pro skateboarder. I think there's one or two other pro skateboarders in there. That was one of the early Knocked Loose shirts. Um, From the Washington Square Park scene? No, no, no. The the party. The party. Oh, Four okay. little kids smoking weed together. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you got the Jesus chain. I like that. Christ around your <laughs> neck. Uh, so that may have been where I was clued in on it, or I saw the movie right around then. I was like, oh, that's where that's from. I don't remember exactly, but I went to Wild and Wooly Video, got kids. Not exactly sure how I'd heard of it. Watched it with, uh, I think, my girlfriend at the time, and I was like, what the fuck? 
And I'm sure she was also can, like, what the fuck? For I was like, you can make movies like this? Which is like, I think what everyone thinks when you see kids, no matter if sure. you saw it when it came out or you saw it like me 20 years later, now 30 years later, you're just like, this is allowed? And it's kind of not. <laughs> and it kind of <laughs> wasn't. But yeah, that was when I first watched it. And it took me a really long time to actually get the movie. I used to have to watch a YouTube rip of it, which I would watch pretty frequently. I don't think it's up anymore. I tried to find There's it. There's a, um, for, for, for listeners at home who maybe have, have dipped their toes into this episode without having seen the film either ever or in a while, I found a version. I watched, I watched it on a DVD, but I did find someone's uploaded it to daily motion or something like that oh, but in, yeah. in four separate chunks so oh, you can nice. track it down if you're looking for it <laughs> yeah i finally found a copy at book and music exchange one of those and louisville shouts out to the book and Mix- music exchange um it took me a while to find though and that's the dvd i have which was a little bittersweet last night aj because that right. dvd is it's old real old. dvds are old media now uh i think it was probably the last time i'll ever watch that dvd because i have the remastered blu-ray from umbrella entertainment we said radiance last time it's umbrella we were wrong we're holding ourselves accountable it should be here this month so last night i think was the last time i'll probably ever watch that thing yeah I, I also watched it on DVD. I want to tell you the story about me getting this DVD because, of course, I've okay. I've, I've rented this DVD from the the many mentioned DVD rental place in the theater by me. But uh, yeah. so I, I walk in there last night. I'm going to see uh, Poltergeist at 10 p.m. on the Fourth of July, having okay. a grand old time. But okay. I was like, I got business to do here first. I'm in the lobby. I got to grab this copy of Kids. I know they've got it here. I can't imagine it's a hot ticket item that's moving around. I walk over to. Uh, indies slash cult American films. Mm. Pop that cult, drawer out. Cult America, the Grey Haven album. No, I wish. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've also got you know cult Asia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Pop open that that drawer. JKL. Let me flip through those. Gets the K's. Uh, there's some other movies with kid in the title. I'm like, okay, we're in the right spot. I'm flipping through. My fingers are going up and down. No kids. Can't find it. Can't see it. I'm like, I know they have it. Your fingers were going up and down and then follow with the word kids. You know, I I was doing it on the video. Um, So I'm like, (laughs) okay, maybe they, you know, moved it to a different section. I go check like exploitation, LGBT. I don't know why I checked there, but I was like, (laughs) so that's very homophobic. I check comedy. I check drop. Well, you know, a lot of LGBT films deal with homophobia as thematic subject matter i was like maybe if it's that's in there, true but they I, call larry, it out. but i think larry clark has had less to say or i guess harmony kareen had less to say than greg Araki did back then yeah those were the points where larry clark was like i think these kids are onto something actually <laughs> yeah. um so i'm like let me check comedy let me check drama no results then i'm like they have a section by director do they have a larry clark section go to see again fingers going up and down the, the aisles <laughs> I'm a master of of the DVD shelves. Um, No Larry Clark section whatsoever. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go watch a YouTube rip of kids or something. In my desperation, I'm like, maybe foolishly they've categorized it in the Harmony Corinne section. Now, of course, he didn't direct the film. Right. Important to know. He's got an extensive cameo in it, was heavily involved in pretty much every aspect of the production of it. Let me just see. And sure enough... There it is in the Harmony Current Hell section. Hell yeah! Woo! Between that, nine copies is, of Spring Breakers, that is foolish though. It, it foolish, does not belong there. A it's critical a Larry, mistake. It, it, it's a Larry Clark film. 
That's right. And, and let and my man we'll Larry talk about that. And let my man Larry have his dub because he truly did nothing of note after this other than try to cash in on kids, including but not limited to NFTs a couple of years ago. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, so there you go. That's his whole fucking thing. Dude's pushing 80, still trying to wow. capture some of that glory. Yeah. Did you I know? Mean... I did not know this until yesterday. Larry Clark, of course, burst onto the scene. He's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He swung onto the shelves. Swung on the shelves from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He had done a stint in Vietnam, was, I believe, a heroin addict or a pharmaceutical. I don't remember. He was addicted to something, you know, two, two peas in a pod, me and him. Um, but he started taking photos of, like, the youth in Tulsa for his groundbreaking book, Tulsa. Uh, you know, like, prostitutes, drug users, violence, I think, teenage parenthood, all this stuff. Did you know that book was, like, really influential on Scorsese making Taxi Driver? You know, and I'm I think not, Francis not, Ford Coppola also was like, yeah, that book, like, really influenced me back in the day. I did not know that. I'm not surprised to hear it, though, because right. in, in doing some research earlier today, uh, I learned that Martin Scorsese was, like, originally one of the key producers on this movie and then yeah. dropped out after all of the label troubles and NC-17 stuff. So his name's not on it. But he was, like foundationally kind of involved in this movie getting off the ground initially which is funny because many years later he will get his name on the production credits of a film that uh is heavily inspired let's say by kids uh the directorial debut of one jonah hill mid-90s got good movie uh with uh similar to kids a harmony kareen cameo that's right now one of the other producers importantly aj gus van sant i've heard of him You, you know where gus van sant's from Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. That's one yes, of two sir. we're getting today. That's one of two we're getting today. <laughs> Hell yeah. In, in doing some of the, the research again that I was doing earlier today, too, it was like very interesting to hear the way that mm-hmm. they talked about Larry Clark's like inspiration for it. There was a funny quote, I think, in either. There were two really great pieces on Slash Film and Rolling Stone, like oral history lookbacks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Slash Film one is more about the production and the controversy and the Rolling Stone one is about the actors and the like, you know, kids themselves and Mm -hmm. where all of their lives went, which is common knowledge for some of them and really tragic stories for most of them. But um, there was a funny quote in one of those, one of the kids was just kind of like, yeah, you know, Larry Clark was like always hanging around the, as a 50 year old man, hanging around these kids, taking photos of them. Cause he just like liked having his camera and pointing at it pointing at shit that was cool to him and trying to capture that. And basically this movie spiraled out of that. It's quasi documentary style filmmaking, uh, but does have like a pretty set script with an explicit story. And Mm -hmm. for most of the scenes that they were shooting, it kind of sounds like everyone reflects on this. Like there was, you know, dialogue and a shooting script order and, and everything. Like people were embodying characters in so far as they were kind of just playing themselves, but fictionalized a little bit i think a lot of people uh a lot of filmmakers or creatives even watch a movie like this and take all of the wrong lessons from it which are like they just fucking went out there with cameras and were like hey kids are doing wild stuff on the streets let's capture all that and be like yeah you know drugs sex violence all that stuff get it because there are there are lots of films since kids that have evoked it um right well kids Kids, like, it captures a point in New York's history, kind of like, uh, I guess, this wouldn't be pre-Giuliani, right? But, like, pre- the, He's the mayor at the time. 
pre the version of New York we have today, you know, like immediately pre 9-11, which you can kind of use as a line in the sand. Um, where, this was like New York's last gasp of a lawless land, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, the mid, the early, basically the 90s, effectively. Um, I mean, this is like the start of Clinton's last term. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. like, you know, this is the last gasps of America in some yeah, ways. <laughs> yeah. And New York, the New York that a lot of uh, New Yorkers or people that migrated to New York at that point, it's the it will become the last gasp of what they thought made the city great, which mm-hmm. I don't I don't live there. So I can't say one way and or never will and never will. Definitely not by December at the latest. <laughs> uh, uh This movie is about kind of and the, this film also coincides with like the um next rise in skateboarding where it was becoming more commercially uh appealing and profitable but also like especially on the east coast i think retaining a lot of its uh rough and violent edges and so this movie is kind of it's taking real people real ideas and real things that did happen like that washington square park is fight is a fight that happened at the brooklyn banks you can just see on youtube i think it's in the epically later documentary about harmony kareen wow <laughs> uh, pushed to their extreme levels right like so it's all rooted in reality but pushed to like absurdism which is kind of harmony's whole thing he's like very influenced by like vaudeville and shit like that which i think you see more in stuff like gummo and spring breakers and trash humpers but i think there's elements of it here where it's like this is real to a degree but also fantasy in how insane it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I was also reading some criticism uh, from the time where people were kind of sticking up for it in a way that like, you know, oh, it's NC-17 and they're on CNN talking about how it's dangerous and corruptive and yada, yada, yada. But it is putting things on the screen that are real issues that, we kind of just don't talk about in a lot of ways. Um, well, there was... it, yeah, it's a movie about AIDS that came out in the 90s. I mean, that yeah. alone feels like makes it somewhat important, you know? Right. There, there were a lot of uh, pieces I sort of read where it was like, it, it's a movie that like presumes that, you know, teenagers who are sexually active don't really know how to talk about, uh, you know, AIDS especially, but like STIs and, and all of that safety stuff. And it was kind of like, it's it's regressive in a way that, you know, if you're an older person watching this and you're like, oh, my God, it's insane that these 13, 14 year olds are, you know, doing these hard drugs and having sex and mm-hmm. throwing all caution to the wind when the reality was at the time. Like, yeah, people of that age were doing these things and living in the reality of that. And so in yep. a way, the film is kind of saying, like, you know, catch up. Uh, this isn't we're not making this up and being like, wouldn't it be awful if this happened? <laughs> what we're saying with it is. This is kind of happening right now, and and we're turning a blind eye to it in a lot of ways. So, you know, thinking about the film in that way and and really grappling with it uh, was fascinating because, again, when I was watching it this time around, I was really just struck by the ways that a lot of creatives have run with similar themes and similar subject matter just to lesser uh, success. It's hard to kind of fake the alchemy of this film. Yeah, because, I mean, like, it comes from... I mean, I don't know. I it, it's like when you watch a Safty movie, and it's like clear that you know those like are two watch... guys who are molded yeah. by this movie. Obviously, when you watch Uncut Gems, and then you learn they spent five years embedded in the Diamond District, you're like, it makes sense. And then you learn, you know, they're like actually just like street kids from New York. You're like, it makes sense. 
Harmony Kareen, not from New York. He's from Nashville, Tennessee, just a couple hours from my hometown. Shouts out. Love Nashville. Uh, but his, his grandma was from Queens. He was living there at the time, and he was hanging out with a lot of these people, or at least people loosely associated with who would be in the movie. And Larry Clark, he was a street photographer, effectively. And the way street photography works is you have to kind of immerse yourself either as a participant in the culture or an active observer. And so I think that does lend just from its like production an element of authenticity and then pulling, you know, like of course, Rosario Dawson and Chloe Sevigny and the Leo Fitzpatrick to a lesser degree and Justin Pierce before his life was cut short, you know, they would go on to be actors after this. Uh, You know, a lot of these kids, like I think Rosario Dawson was found on her stoop. You know, uh, it was like, actually on a roof, from what I oh, read. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> she was on a roof of like, a Brooklyn tenement, and Larry Clark was like, that chick kind of looks cool. She, I think, is one of the few in the cast who sort of had aspirations to be an actor yeah, before yeah. getting involved with this movie. Um, you know, the reason we're here, Chloe Sevigny was kind of involved in the fashion world already in, mm-hmm. in some ways. I think she was like a shop girl or sort of worked as like an executive assistant in some big store uh, kind of what I picked up on, and yeah, again, Larry Clark kind of with his camera just liked the look of these actions and these people and was like, come on in. But other, yeah, and other people like Harold Hunter, who was, you know, a pro skater, right, was kind of just like a little local celebrity involved in the skate scene. I mean, you see a bunch of just like really street kids here. Like um, some of the guys that rode for Menace are also in that. The whole thing about Menace was they were, you know, Southern California street kids that weren't really given a chance by like, mainstream brands and stuff like that they show up in here kids who like who knows where they came from or where they went you know are in this movie with two lines and they're just they're just there and maybe some of them are giving some of the worst line deliveries you're ever gonna hear in your <laughs> life but that's fine because it just all kind of has this like reality to it and i think when you when you listen to a lot of the interviews that have come out over the last 20 years of which there are hundreds you know like People will say this is not a documentary because it's not. It's outlandish and ridiculous. It's but like people will also 100% wanna... a narrative fiction film. <laughs> right. But the people who are involved with it and lived that life also point out, it's like, but this is also kind of what it was like, you know? So it's right. like, I think you can feel that when you watch it, which maybe makes it more disturbing when the you grapple with what the film is putting in front of you because there's no way to be like, well, maybe it's not this crazy, but it's still happening. And I think that like terrified a lot of people back in the day. Yeah, I mean, by the nature of an NC-17 film called Kids starring almost exclusively child actors. Yeah. Just like the reaction to that is kind of like, no, it's it's morally reprehensible to release this thing. But, you know, I don't want to speak for people who were making uh, a movie 25 years ago or whatever. But I, I like, I, I it really kind of struck me how it seems like all of the intentions were in the right place with this film. Maybe things didn't end up, you know, that way, but I, I kind of just like admire the, the scrappiness of this. It's, it's truly one of like the landmark American independent films. Um, someone, someone I was fixated on, on this watch around, and this is kind of just jumping into the middle of the film, but we were talking about the documentary nature of it. Mm -hmm. The, um, the, the, uh, homeless guy on the train, who's skating up i have no legs i was like so i know that this film had a shooting script and everything but they were also kind of doing it you know permitless in the streets of new york 
was that guy compensated? Where did they find him? Was that shot renegade guerrilla style? I couldn't find an answer for it, so I would love to know. <laughs> I, I, you know, he's probably no longer with us. I was, I, thinking, I was that. doing the math. I was doing the math on how old he might be if he's still alive, and it kind of hit me. Probably several people in this movie uh, have maybe aged out in a, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I'd love to know more about him because uh, the I have no legs scene sticks out and is one of the scenes uh this people seem to remember that aren't the uh more harrowing scenes yeah. it's one of the scenes people find a bit charming i mean i was really i think of him because as i was watching it this time i was like laser focused on where the blend between the mm. real world and the staged world was kind of happening and that was one of the only moments where it's like there's someone on camera who's the focus of the film that they're calling attention to right now who maybe i believe wasn't involved with the production in any capacity because like obviously there are extras in the park and stuff like that but i have to imagine that like the gay couple that walks by those are actors because they react give lines the guy who gets beaten up everyone who kind of like all the adults in the film are obviously not real parents or anything like that maybe they filled the parties with just like hey we're throwing a party which actually they probably definitely didn't do that because that would be super illegal and morally wrong well (laughs) considering what happens at these parties well I think at the nightclub scene, there's a few stories that production was just not able to control the kids. Uh, but I don't know about the actual party. But the nightclub, I think it did get a little out of hand, and production was just like, shit, 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 fuck, fuck. Yeah. You know? Well, because like, they a lot didn't of... try to be professional. Mm-hmm. A lot of these lot people, of too, you go look at the cast list on something like IMDb, and it's like they all have character names or mm-hmm. like, you know, profiles or whatever. A lot of them, it's just this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, straight up. Yeah. But you know an interesting thing I learned yesterday? What did uh, you learn G- yesterday? Gertie in this movie, who's a very si- small side character. Um, she's in one of my favorite scenes, though, where the guy's like, Gertie. <laughs> I want to sleep with you so bad. <laughs> Gertie, I want to do things for you. Let me buy yeah. you hot dogs. I love you, Gertie. <laughs> Maybe my favorite scene in the entire movie. It was movie. really good. Uh, she went on to be like a Tony Award winner. Wow, she like got really big. I think she directed, um, did like a stage production for In the Heights. Like she like ended up having a really good Broadway career. I had no clue. So shouts out to her. I read a few articles about her that were really interesting. Where to begin with a film like Kids? Well, it is the the Chloe season. That's right. She is truly the star of the film. Her and Telly. You know, I I think that's something too we've kind of mostly focused on its its reputation but like its perspective and its pov i think um i think it doesn't sort of get enough credit let's say for the way that despite all of the awful kind of men kids boys that are on screen it does it does make room i i feel like she's the hero protagonist central character of this film despite you know leo fitzpatrick and justin pierce really being the main focus of the camera like it's her story in a way would you agree well, with jenny jenny is like the only character that's likable well yeah. i mean there, there's a actually no i don't want to say that because there are plenty of victims in this film that you know that do not do not earn or by no means like get any derision from the viewer but i think her... in terms of the main cast she is the only one you are meant to have any sympathy or like positive feelings towards is chloe's character jenny yeah 
Rosario Dawson uh, is is all right in there, and then the, I think so. But I think you're also supposed to find her a bit annoying, which yeah. she is. The the girl at the park who says, you know, why do you guys hang out with uh, Telly? He's he's pretty annoying or whatever. I was like, you go, girl. You're yeah, kind of right. Uh, she's talking about Casper. He's like, he used to eat yeah. glue in the seventh grade. <laughs> and Telly's like, he still does. Yeah, that's such a funny line. The, I mean, the first five minutes of this film before. Before you see anything, it's a black screen and you just hear the un, unmistakable sounds of two two kids <laughs> macking. And you're like, all right, like I think I know what I'm hearing here, what's yeah. going on. And then like, you know, every time it's just this is kind of just movie magic and the undeniable power of the silver screen. But like every single time you watch this movie, that first frame pops up and you're like, these kids are too young. What the fuck is going on? Like, I don't want to be seeing that. <laughs> it's a horrible scene. It is the, I've seen this movie so many times. That's the, that's the phone checker right there. Yeah. I'm <laughs> the, blowing up my phone. You're like, let me for, throw in the DVD of my favorite movie of all time. Can't wait to start this piece. All right. And I'm looking at my, I'm checking Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I do that. And then I turn the movie off before the final seat as well. I, so let's, when we get to the final moment of this film, remind me to tell you a story about going to see this at the Walker Arts Center. Okay, I'm, I'm putting a note. So in four hours when we get to the end of this movie, I'm going to ask Blake to tell me a story. Uh, so the intro of this film is Telly, who I, I want to just like right here, right now, give a shout out to Leo Fitzpatrick's... Friend of the show. Friend of the show. A guy we <laughs> met. He didn't know it. We knew it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he has an art gallery in New York now. And the last time uh, Blake and I were there, we were like, there it is. Uh, and we popped in and he was there and we were like, cool art man and blake was like really really dig this stuff and he was like thank you that's cool and then i was like you should tell him that you know you love kids and to change your life and it's your favorite movie and blake was like ah he doesn't need to know that <laughs> i was too nervous i got too scared yeah. <laughs> i got too scared it was after we went to washington square park and i pointed that's right. out every part of the park where right, something was... happened like an excited child at disneyland to that's his right. tired father <laughs> the kids theme park would be uh hell <laughs> his um his voiceover like it's hard to say. He gives a great performance. I loved watching him on the screen. It's undeniable. It's captivating. I hate this guy with like a fire in my heart. But um, the the way that he he does the voiceover monologues, I think like it's easy for those to be much worse. So I want to give him credit for just like selling that and fully committing yeah. to it because the film sort of opens and closes with his bookended monologues about just like um you know, 13 and I love having sex and I like having sex with virgin girls the best because you know, whatever these kind of guys say, butterscotch, butterscotch. Yeah. And he is just detailing his horrible views on women and sex and the world. And it's all there. And yeah, the opening of this film is you're just like watching a kind of painfully awkward sexual encounter between him and, you know, he says like de-virgining, uh, Right, the vir- Telly, the virgin surgeon. That's the virgin what they call surgeon, him. yeah, yes. de- deflowering a woman, and then kind of just like nonchalantly going about his day, which is, you know, in many ways the kind of thesis statement of this film is just like, oh, we raised these boys to get away with truly whatever they want in this society. Hell yeah! Uh, Shortly thereafter, we're introduced to Casper, but right? What could have been. The actor of a generation, Justin Pierce. He has given his whole ass to this performance. It is out of control. From the second he he is on screen, Casper, despite being the most repulsive character 
in cinema history, along with Telly. I mean, it's a, it's like it's like the standout performance it has to be Justin. He's Pierce. a tremendously toady, annoying little best friend character, which is a trope, but he's killing it. He's crushing it. Yeah, I didn't realize also that um, he won the Independent Spirit Award for best debut performance the year that this movie came out. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, dude, rest in power to the king. He was yeah. so good. I mean, this is again a performance where you you have to like remind yourself that there's a character here and this is an actor i mean know, it ends by, somewhere right for all intents and purposes though he was kind of playing himself like you know no one has made bones about justin pierce being a dude that lived hard and was rough I particularly um, want to give him the benefit of the doubt on the stuff towards the end of the film, but like, you know, it's no secret that, yeah, he had uh, troubled relationships and definitely dealt with addiction and, you know, I think the, and violence tendencies. Yeah, I think he was a really well loved person, though. I think he's just like, you know, people can have their dark sets. <laughs> Rough and tumble through this dark yeah. life of ours. Yeah. And, and these two boys, they link up and they're just kind of off to the races again you get the sense that this is every day for them where it's like he says i was sitting on the stoop for two hours while you were in there like working your magic i guess you know that what else are friends for i guess maybe in in some ways they would you would hope that they kind of give you the advice or pull you back from your darkest impulses to say like hey do we have to do this again today maybe not should we think about the consequences (laughs) of our actions that's one thing friends are for but if not it's you know waiting on the stoop while you're in there uh seducing a, a preteen girl for t- two hours come on man he's just reading <laughs> he's just reading his hate comics shout outs yeah. out to peter bag you ever read hate good stuff no. recommend them they're okay. good stuff you can find it, collections of them they're good I, and i'm looking <laughs> i bet <laughs> it's it's an opening that immediately pulls you into the world you feel like you know these guys have always known these guys when they go start hanging out with the other guys you're like i've been here before or i know exactly where this is and i know people who would be hanging out here another performance uh that i really loved was uh sajan bagat as paul the guy's house with the beanie that they go to when they're all hanging out i was just like he's kind of doing a a like link later slacker type um in in a in you know in the modern remake of kids this role would be a high profile actor doing a goofy cameo as like the older kid whose house they all go hang out at but just like the naturalistic way this kid is is selling these scenes early on all of them honestly but you know your eyes are just drawn around this room all of these kids hanging out and you're like they're just fucking doing it like they're living their little lives smoking drugs and uh, all that shit uh i would hate to be there but the conversations that they have again hard to believe that they were written because it really just feels like teenage boys shooting the shit going off you know back before we had call of duty lobbies to do this and we were all hanging out in someone's living room also i i guess uh sajan actually uh passed away yeah, he's passed back away. in 99 yeah. so rest yeah. in power to him i i really love that scene also there's a fun guy mariano cameo on the tv that i really appreciate they're all watching skate videos and you see a like 12 year old guy mariano oh, well, uh, yeah. uh, but i love the micro uh the micro um war going on between casper and the blonde kid on this 
couch the whole scene where the kid is like getting on Casper's nerves for no reason. He is just acting as dumb as everyone else and Casper keeps wanting to fight him. And I'm like, is this planned or was this? It's a very funny moment. If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. But yeah, great stuff. But this is what, here's the brilliance of cinema, AJ. That's right. We're flashing back and forth between the boys going crazy and they're like, ah, oh, girls, you know, you got to you gotta woo them. You gotta be Mr. Gentleman. And then yeah. we're cutting to a room of girls talking where they are, I would say, more vulgar than the boys it, in talking well, about sex. Here's here's also the way this sequence makes me feel. This is maybe, like, the opening 10 minutes is maybe my favorite stretch of the movie. You know, sure. I love this movie, but, like, this is just electrifying stuff on the screen in these cutbacks. It feels like going from, I don't know, uh, the chimpanzee enclosure at a zoo to, like, a the ninth hour of a un uh philosophy debate the way it's just like these boys going ape shit and then the demure conversation that these girls are having and like yeah they're being vulgar but just the the maturity okay. that's on screen is like wow yeah but the nastiest line in this whole scene comes from rosario dawson where she talks about sperm getting stuck in her teeth yeah and uh it's it's such a foul mental image that this break 15 year old girl paints in this moment uh, sneaking away to bang in the bushes at bible camp and getting mosquito bites all over your ass <laughs> yeah. again like these, these are these are things that stick out in their details that are just like again you've really captured something with the screenwriting here like yeah. it just feels lived in uh, but here we meet jenny and yeah she is and we're seeing she's clearly the odd one out because right. while she has had sex she is clearly less experienced she's only slept with one person we'll later learn that Rosario Dawson's character, whose name escapes me right now, um, you know, has had multiple, multiple partners, which, you I know. mean, another incredible cross-cutting section there when the two girls are at the uh, HIV AIDS testing facility and it's going back and forth with the same questions. Um, I mean, that's, you know, again, the magic of movie making. Um, in the part, so Jenny, of course, is talking about how, like, she she gave her virginity to, to Telly and she's like, uh, blah, 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 Telly's a dick. But, like, clearly it, he has taken up some amount of real estate in her brain and we get this moment where um where a guy in at the ha- apartment is on the phone which is actually a pro for the skate team menace shouts out um says hey telly jenny says hello and telly's like jenny who which tells kind of is the gonna be the thesis statement of the film right there i thought it, i hadn't bad actually, guy i hadn't actually like thought much about that moment embarrassingly enough until watching it last night i was like oh shit piece of shit there he is right uh, a specific number is never given and it would be horrifying to know but like you you just kind of get the sense when jenny is like you know oh, i gave my virginity to telly because he talked me up and, and all of these things mm-hmm. it's like you get the sense that every girl in that room could say the exact same thing is his reputation yeah, yeah. for sure but um we we fast forwarded past another great bit uh in the opening where the kids go uh, rob a a 40 ounce malt liquor from the grocery store and he oh uh, dissed it berates the the (laughs) the shopkeep with uh y'all don't have dis dig you got dis dig dis dig dis dig motherfucker (laughs) speak english i mean it's bad but it's good (laughs) it's not morally correct but it's a funny scene yeah Look, um, you just have to leave your morals at the front door when you watch this movie and just accept that it's all bad yeah. and some of it's really funny. And that scene is very funny. 
I forget if it's before or after too, but the scene where they're back at home and he's like asking his mom for money. She's like, I don't have a penny to my name. I'm broke. And they're like, okay, whatever. We're, you know, off on the, on the hunt again. And he's just like, oh, please, can I have some money? <laughs> She's like, no, I'm serious. Like, we're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. They just go steal money from his poor mom and then Casper's yeah. watching her breastfeed. It's all just a vile <laughs> and repugnant. Pretty evil. Um, and then, I mean, we get into the the meat of whatever plot there is here where uh again they're uh ruby and jenny go to get themselves tested for stds coming out of that conversation with the girls and i guess the twist or whatever the cruel hand of fate is that despite uh her inexperience the one time that jenny had sex with telly uh she tests positive for aids and there's like a really again tender scene where she's on the phone to her parents and her little brother and is kind of just like thrown into yeah what, what i have to imagine it's like the worst possible situation for uh a teenager at this time in this country and is basically just like what the fuck do i do with myself uh right and kind of makes it her mission to like go find telly and to you know i don't want to say like bring him to justice or whatever but basically be like stop having sex with every virgin in the city yeah uh, and, because you uh, can't do that and then it's just like a harrowing day for all parties involved we're flashing back and forth we're probably spending more time overall with telly and casper definitely but we're flashing between jenny telly and casper you know telly and casper are just uh running amok throughout the city as i'm led to believe kids especially skater kids were one to do <laughs> back at this point in new york and jenny you know we're kind of like she she grounds the film in its tragedy you know um there's, right uh, i think i think the the thrust that there is somewhere you know on the periphery at some points but at least one pov character who's in this action for the right reasons of this kind of 24-hour chase or just adventure across the city the the indulgence of just being like we're gonna follow these fucked up skater kids for 24 hours across new york in the 90s and they're gonna do drugs and kill people and have sex and it's gonna be crazy to watch like that is a significantly worse film than this which really wants to right grapple with the repercussions in a real way I actually think that's a good point to say. Like, I don't, I don't know that we should go beat by beat of the film. They're really, we've, we've kind of done the beats until the end, right. basically. <laughs> I think like so, we should just start talking about like where, what, what we take away from these moments and what we feel. Because I think like there's so many different ways to watch kids, and I think it depends on when you watch it, who you watch it with, mm. what number you have watched it. You know, it, yesterday it was just a very passive viewing for me. I kind of just had seen it so many times. I was like, let me just put it up while I'm doing some other stuff just to make sure it's in my brain. But, you know, like for you who has not seen it as many times, going back to this for, I guess, your second time seeing it, like what stood out to you? What hit you? What were your takeaways? What were you thinking this whole time? Right. I mean, I've, I've called out a couple of them already, but I was definitely looking for the smaller moments. I think the film has like big shocks and kind of, I don't want to mm-hmm. say twists and turns or whatever, but it, it kind of clearly does have an arc and a story that really just like pulls at your guts and, and is wrenching to to watch happen. But the voyeuristic moments are, again, just those things that maybe weren't as scripted or kind of happening in the moment was definitely what I was paying attention to. So I think 
yeah the the guy on the train like i called out um the scene at the phone of everybody walking by and then all the shots of them on the subways one of my favorite shots of the movie is actually at the very end after we fade to black before the kind of very very end but there are those shots it kind of looks like it's either from a subway car window or a moving vehicle of some sort but it's like a tennis court of just some people playing and it's like a shot that doesn't have any recognizable characters in it but you're kind of clearly coming out of the darkest moments of the film and it's like around all of this yeah life is just happening which is again one of the thesis statements of the film (laughs) it has many as a film can but like is that just like people like this exist the this is these are like the realities of this time and place in the world and it's these stories are layered on top of one another and these characters will intersect and cross but what you're kind of meant to take away as a viewer if you don't live in this world is like and they share, you know, the spaces that you inhabit. There's someone out there in some town everywhere who yeah. has a drug problem or an STD or was taken advantage of or abused, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a hate crime. That's a scene that sticks out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Two multiple th- hate crimes. <laughs> I think the uh, the thing that stuck out to me watching this and I, I maybe had forgotten or just never really thought about was how funny this movie is, which like honestly makes sense. Like Harmony Korean is like, a funny guy he's he has written plenty of funny movies and um he has just books that you can buy full of weird turns of phrases and weird funny poems like he's he's just a naturally gifted writer in a very funny way and i had kind of forgot that kids has some like deeply funny moments even in its most fucked up moments but like i think of um the taxi driver in this film who's talking to Jenny. God, yeah, telling, that's a scene. That's another one that stuck out to me. I wanted he, to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, he's telling this, like, very cute story about, like, how Ginny kind of looks like the girl that was his first crush. And then he just goes, that was the first girl that let me stick my tongue in her mouth. <laughs> it's like, it's such a good moment of just like, all right, back to reality, idiot. Yeah, this movie's well, got you by the throat. It's like a, a potentially creepy interaction where she's, like harrowed and distraught in the back of this taxi and he's like oh come on baby why can't you smile like you should smile you should be happy but then they kind of like do have a nice little back and forth he's like okay you know there you you look like a prom queen when you smile and then that gets him just going down memory lane and it's like yeah they kind of immediately drift out of each other's lives after this this transactional taxi cab ride has ended but it was a funny little funny little moment (laughs) another some other funny moments uh are at the uh boys apartment early in the film where all the boys are just going nuts the council you know, yeah the, like the meeting of the high council <laughs> yeah talking about girls <laughs> he's talking about it's a visual moment so unfortunately for the viewers it's not gonna land but telly's talking about why he doesn't like condoms and he's saying all the normal reasons yeah. he doesn't feel as good blah 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 they don't work and then he goes and they make your dick shrink and they cut to casper which gives him this which turns his face slowly with the most what the fuck did you just say bro look at <laughs> it killed me i watched it like three times just rewinding uh, like his face is incredible similar beat when casper's talking where they where they find a tampon and he's like do you even know how these things work and he like <laughs> dips it in and i don't know what it's like nail polish or it's like a mug it's of Kool-Aid. something like, Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. yeah it was just like a nasty sickly red in his reaction to that and he's like trying to put it in his mouth <laughs> And he goes, my girl's got heavy flow. Flow. Unbelievable. Uh, the Harmony Korean scene at the part at the uh, the rave is very yeah. funny. They watch 
uh, as he calls them three cornballs from New Jersey having a threesome. And then he says, he says something like they're on ecstasy, feeling fantastasy. Yeah. It's fucking nuts. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a very funny movie. The it four kids smoking movie. weed together being like, <laughs> being like, oh, you got Jesus on your neck. I like that Christ on your neck, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're operating the as the, the Greek chorus of this film, just like observing <laughs> Yeah. from the sidelines restating yeah, the, the themes to you <laughs> and then the funniest moment in 90s film history is the gertie scene where it's like i'm just trying to buy you i want to buy you hot dogs gertie. yeah i was like is this it kid... goes on so long i'm assuming he was just like meant to be fried out of his gore but it was no such a such an honestly beautiful uh human teenage moment you know he's obviously trying to be like please you know let me fuck but his his declarations <laughs> of love were uh, very cute honestly like yeah. i was like this is sad but this is funny uh so because i'm a, a a juvenile at heart i like when harold hunter when he's like i'm a girl and they said well what was that big thing you showed us earlier and he goes my clit that's a funny that's a funny line. uh yeah and when they're at the pool too uh he's like you know oh he, he this was maybe the funniest, the uh, the hardest I laughed this time watching it. But um, he says, like, I, I truth or dare you to kiss each other right now in the pool to those two other girls. Like, not let's play truth or dare. He's like, I truth or dare you to kiss each other right now. Oh, he says, uh, rather than walking all the way through, like, you guys want to play truth or dare? I dare you to kiss each other. He says, I truth or dare you to kiss each other right now. <laughs> and then they have that whole conversation about, like, Oh, you know, I'm not gay. Well, why won't you kiss another guy? He's like, oh, because I'm not gay. <laughs> yeah, they're like, no, it just feels nice. And the boys are like, no. Yeah, they're no, like, no. how can you kiss each other if you're not gay? And he's like, it feels nice. And he's like, oh, okay. And they're like, well, yeah, they, you should kiss each other. No, I'm not gay. I also like uh, Telly sitting with Darcy, um, the last girl. He plans to deflower by the end of the night. Um, they That whole and, – and, yeah, by that point, it's like comically evil – Right. Where he just kind of immediate. I think he, there's like a throwaway line earlier, I think, when they meet her brother or whatever. But he's like, you know, and, and I mentioned it with like the voiceover for narration. Just Justin Fitzpatrick's line delivery every single time. I was like going to do an impression. And I'm like, I can't do an impression. He's just like, Darcy, she's really hot. I want to sleep with her next. And it's like this man just like has a fucking list he's working down and he's 13 and should care about anything else in the world and he's evil yeah but he does have a funny line with darcy when they're sitting next to the pool which uh where she's like what is that and she points to his chest and he's like oh girl that's my triple nipple <laughs> like bro yeah. it's a mole what are you talking about <laughs> Beauty. that was a thing i remember those uh yeah the, the who's the who's the guy that scorsese likes that committed the hate crime when he was a kid Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, see, you knew exactly what I was talking about. He has a trip. He okay. has a, famously has a third nipple, a superfluous nipple. That's a real thing. I, I, I don't know if I would classify him as the guy Scorsese likes. He was in The Departed. But you're not disputing that he was the guy that committed a hate crime. Oh, he very publicly, on the record, committed a hate crime. <laughs> but then also did say one of the funniest things of all time. If I was there on 9-11, it would have gone down differently. <laughs> It would have been a hate crime for good. Yeah. You can't say that. You can't say that. No, he absolutely cannot. But we could talk about all the funny moments we want, of which there are plenty in this film. Uh, but ultimately, the film is a tragedy. And it ends 
uh, horrifically for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Telly, of course, sleeps with Darcy, continuing to... He succeeds, he wins, yay, woohoo, except, wait a minute, oh, we already know, yeah. kind of, uh, in a turn of dramatic irony, that he is extremely HIV positive. Yeah. Um, Bad. Ginny goes to the rave, where Harmony Crean's character puts a... Uh, I don't remember what the drug is, but it's a big one in her mouth. It's like a downer of some sort. So she is just like fucked beyond belief at this point. She makes her way to the party where Telly is, sees in just one of the most brutal shots. Uh, I'm sorry, listener. It's all going downhill from here. But if you clicked into this episode, you probably knew what you're in store for. Uh, Well, I mean, so she she comes to this party. It's the culmination of her. Hold on. We forgot a really funny line in the party. Yeah. Where Casper's (laughs) in the back. The bathtub drunk as hell singing Casper, the friendly Sir. ghost is the dopest ghost I mean, in this, town. The the bathroom bit is like sort of the last moment of of brevity in the film. There's the great scene where uh, he's trying to piss too, and he he pulls his pants on and goes whoa, <laughs> whatever. Like, just his reaction in that moment was really funny. But like, yeah, all the conversations that are happening happening in the bath tub slash room are the last kind of okay these kids are like you know just having fun with it or whatever you know their conversation's not great i don't remember all right. the exact details but there's still some fun to it but a fun fact yeah, though uh the kid who's puking in that bathroom that falls asleep next right. to casper in the tub that's hamilton harris he's also in the washington square park scene doing the role in the blunt uh he was the one who directed the kids the documentary about yeah, this movie he, that came he out made that documentary just like we'll have to cover that because i got it in the mail right now baby I haven't that's seen right it. yeah i mean it's it's uh i think it premiered at tribeca mm-hmm. was it like the 20th anniversary or it was a little bit i don't know it but... was in production for like five years or something so i don't yeah. remember when it finally came out but they have it in the uh re-release it's like a double there feature. are some there are some panels and conversations from that mm-hmm screening that you can find pretty easily online which i watched a couple of today but yeah that film has been like hard to hard to access i think it was on showtime for a while and i'm Mm. sorry but i'm not subscribing to showtime i'm subscribing to getting physical media so that's when i'm gonna watch that movie is when it shows up at my apartment anyway um sorry jenny shows jenny makes it to the party and like although this is her mission and has been her push for the entire film She's kind of, A, I think, exhausted, and B, like, heavily under the influence of drugs. So, yeah, we get the awful scene that you're describing where she walks in. She's like, I know Telly's here. I know he's trying to sleep with this girl. Uh, Goes into the bedroom, and, like, yeah, you see it happening. And then, like, really one of the biggest downers in the movie, Telly just kind of, like, drunkenly or whatever the fuck he's under the influence of yelling, like, close the fucking door. I actually think Telly's sober. Crucially, I think him and Darcy yeah. are so because they're not actually in the party until the end. I get the sense that Telly is kind of operating on a oh, sure, uh, sure, 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 sure. days long bender sure. in this window of his life, but you know, maybe. Wait, um, we never see. No, I'd have to check the tape. I don't think we ever they steal see, that forty at the beginning. Telly doesn't drink any of it, and you don't see him smoking well, yeah, at I, the. I think he's sober the whole movie, which makes this all worse. A sober king. This, yeah. No, um, I, I'm gonna start drinking again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine that it's not meant to be uh, a character detail on rather just that they um, couldn't or didn't want to depict the main child actors in their film drinking and smoking. I guess you can, but do they that have enough. Casper the kid in drinking the 90s and smoking, gets... smoking the whole time. Yeah. Who knows? Interesting detail. Hmm. 
Check the tape. I'll have to double check. I don't think check we ever see him do any substances. Go for watch 450. <laughs> anyway. The performance that Chloe Sevigny gives just with her face where she just kind of like, yeah, closes the door. Um, it is a feminist betrayal, but I don't hold it against her in this in this moment. Um, and then, yeah, like, then the movie, then we get to the end of the movie, which sucks. <laughs> yeah, she... Uh passes out on the couch casper comes out and um how do you say it i mean every so every time the two times that i've watched this movie now but every time i watch this scene um it like begins as something that kind of feels like a kind moment where casper's like oh jenny hey what's going on it's me it's casper are you like okay are you awake or whatever but then just fully takes advantage of her uh in all the worst ways and yeah you know as a viewer that similar to the reaction you had uh with telly's last scene that like um this is another potential exposure to to aids hiv and like again casper doing an awful thing for all the wrong reasons is now probably going to and suffer uh the worst possible fate and you're stuck with it the whole act which yeah i mean they they make you watch it's ex- the end here and yeah. It's excruciating, and I want to tell a story about the Walker Art Center. Well, and and crucially, Jenny's unconscious right, for the right. whole time. Yeah. Uh, so for years, when this moment would happen, I'd be like, I don't need to sit here and watch this, so I would just turn the movie off. Um, and so my memory of this moment was that it was a few seconds long. You see it start to happen, and then it cuts to black, and you hear it. AJ, dear listener, that's not what happens. You actually... It's pretty long. It goes on forever, but I thought that's what happened. So I went to see this at Walker Art Center last year with my my girlfriend at the time, uh, Alex Stadnick, friend of the show, a lover of cinema. And Alex... Your girlfriend at the time, Alex Stadnick? No. <laughs> my girlfriend at the time, comma, Alex Stadnick. Oh, okay. The power comma, of grammar. and... Alex Van Aken, another lover of cinema, but I'll say uh, not a lover of this film. So I was like, I knew the end was coming. And I was like, okay, it's going to be rough. But it's a few seconds, right? Because I I was remembering it wrong. Because it had been so many years since I had sat through the ending. And it was only... I think you were optimistically hoping that it wasn't as bad as you remembered. It was only in that movie theater. Getting the feeling that none of the people I had brought except maybe Alex Stadnick, were having a good time and thinking about how I said this was my favorite movie of all time, that I realized how excruciatingly long the this scene goes on and the fact it does not, mm. in fact, cut to black, that I had misremembered this for about five to seven years and then had to sit there and watch it. And let me tell you, when we walked out of that theater, they were very mad at me (laughs) it was bad it was like legitimately bad as i had to like talk my way through be like look i understand i had forgot about this (laughs) different time different place and then i had to they were all like why do you like this movie and then i explained it to him and my girlfriend at the time was like i can kind of see it all right sounds like a cool movie now that i have this background alex van aken to his credit i would never disrespect anyone for not liking any movie alex van aken was like nah bro fuck that movie and i was like you know what fair (laughs) i'll take i'll take the l from you my dude i would never i would never hold it against anyone for for disliking a film like this just on its 
sheer nature of kind of antagonistic uh, uh what's the word? depiction like the way it's just kind of like you're gonna watch all of this you're just gonna have to fucking sit there and see it so so i don't know i, I feel like this is a good place to just talk about why people do like this movie why it's important because you can hear the broad synopsis of the film be like fuck that you know a lot of people like to throw around claims of like this is just exploitation this is this this is that you kind of reduce it to its uh its back of the box pitch which admittedly is a rough one you know but like what but there's this movie is still around 30 years later and it's still culturally important for a reason and I think that's worth unpacking for any listeners who have not seen it, you know? What do you think is mm. the, like, what is the reason to watch kids or to at least appreciate that it exists? You know, I think a, a lot of the first chunk of our conversation was just that it is such a vivid portrait of a culture and time mm-hmm. and place that, you know, it's not a documentary, but it was informed by a lot of real lived experience and people and stories that were told or shared and it certainly stands up like i don't want to say it's a movie that's aged great because right right. there's a lot of homophobic vulgar inappropriate language a lot of white kids saying the (laughs) n-word the n-word right um like not a pretty hard stretch to believe that it like directly ruined the lives of some people involved with it um but it as the years go on it's like a kind of just living testament to what this moment was like and you know whether you want to to reckon with that or not like it's it's there if you if you want to get that that vivid portrait it feels um authentically believable Mm. in a way that like a lot of movies kids are hard to write kid performances are hard to get correct um and like just child performers don't have a great well i don't want to say child performers don't have a great reputation but like the industry is notorious for taking advantage of child performers and spiraling out of control and ruining their lives which this is not exempt from Mm -hmm. but um you know the movie is kind of centered on and focused on them and telling a story about the youth and not using them as a tool for something else. Yeah. I think, um, I think, you know, I'd never until like literally yesterday, this feels insane to say like unpacked why it was my favorite movie of all time. And so I like, I really tried to think about that yesterday. And I think the reason it resonates with a lot of people the people of this time, the people have seen it in this ensuing decades. And I do think to some degree, and we can talk about this, the reason some people from that scene from back then also hate this movie and hate Larry Clark is I do think like it's easy to, hmm, like I think I connect with it. And it's some, so like, for example, I really love the films, fast times at Ridge High and um, dazed and confused like teen sex comedies, both. I I guess fast uh, dazed isn't really a sex comedy, but teen comedies fast times is kind of like one of those like eighties, seventies, eighties teen sex comedies. I don't see myself in them. I don't connect with any of them. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to assume the listener will realize all the 
terrible shit in kids, notwithstanding. I think there's like something I connect with in the way I grew up as like a crew of like kids who were not this bad. We we certainly had a few kids in our group that were as violent as some of these kids and they did their time and they're we're no longer associated with them, but you know like but that shows like there is stuff here that like coming up is kind of like I don't know, a social misfit or just in a crew that wasn't a typical high school clique as a kid. Like, I think people really identify with seeing this on screen in a, like, accurate way. Or somewhat accurate way, right? Like, the, I did not grow up in the New York in the 90s, but you can kind of, like... It's one of those only films that came out where it's like, oh, I get it. I can identify with this the way, I don't know, maybe my dad could identify with Fast Times. You know, maybe he saw Sean Penn in there. He's like, oh, that's me, you know? But, like, I think, like, the way I grew up in the scenes I was around... Like, I think Kids is one of the only movies I saw. And, you know, I did see this when I was, like, 19. I was still a kid. Where I was like, damn, okay. Like, there is, like, there is something here that is, like, in some way, even if it's just a sliver, true to my lived experience. Or, like, oh, yeah, I did know people, like, <laughs> that guy who had that gross apartment that everyone hung out in. And, like, mm. that's where you went and did drugs. Or, like, you know, like, I think that it's, like, it's an important thing for people who don't grow up within like um, the strict confines of like hierarchies of high school or certain cliques. Like there's, there's not a lot of media out there that like is readily available to you that you can identify with and you can't see yourself in. And I think like all saying that it's weird that it is the film kids, which has all these like very disturbing, all this disturbing subject matter to deal with. But I think that's also important for kids who are mm-hmm. growing up on the fringes of society to have like a cautionary tale to be like, Hey, like you are seen. We recognize you. This movie is for you. Here's your media to see yourself, but like, don't forget the parts of this film and use them as a way to like, not live your life. You know, you can be this person. It's not a... You can be, you can be people in these film this film but don't be telling casper right you know what i'm right. saying like you know it's it's not a preachy after school special yeah. in so far as it's like you can watch this movie start to finish and it's like choose your own adventure ending like what happens the next day you know it's whatever you want to believe but yeah. that's the movie and in reality like there are consequences to these things and you can't live your life this way like we don't, we're not telling you what to do in some ways we're telling you showing you what not to do or maybe think about things to change differently yeah. I, I think that's a that's a through go ahead it's not like a it, i think like crucially like there's a there's a there's a version of reality where this film is written by a much lesser writer and it's just like an anti-sex propaganda film. And this is not that. It is an anti-unsafe uh, yeah. sex film. You know, early in this film, there's some no one is there's some criticism from the time about the way uh I think Bell Hooks actually I read a piece mm-hmm. where they said it has a very conservative view on I, sex I and don't, teenage sexual activity and I would disagree with that. Yeah, but because this film is very much like the subtext of it is like hey, we know you're going to have sex and that's fine. But we're just wear a condom be safe like don't don't be a shithead right like it's like mm-hmm. i think there's a line in this that acknowledges like kids are gonna be kids and if this movie can operate as a vehicle to help kids understand the dangers of risky behavior and everything that that entails like 
I think that's a powerful parable that you do not really get from kids' movies. Now, this film was, of course, slapped with an NC-17 rating, but plenty of kids made their way in to see it, snuck in, did whatever they had to do. And I think it probably was, like, very foundational for a lot of kids, like, maybe taking AIDS more seriously because Lord knows the government was not doing a good job, like, protecting people right. from it or educating people. So, like, yeah, I don't think this is a, as, Yeah, it's... I don't think it's an anti-sex it's, it's, film. I think it's, like, a pro-sex... It's it's doing its best to be a pro uh, healthy sex film. It just maybe is a long walk to get there. What's really valuable about it from that perspective is that I feel like it makes an effort to meet the intended audience like at their level. Mm-hmm. It's not shouting down at them, being like, "You silly kids! If you have unprotected sex, you're gonna get diseases and ruin your life and die." Um, it is kind of getting on the level and immersing itself in that culture so much living in the milieu the moment to moment and then kind of guiding you towards observations or conclusions that again you can choose to ignore but the film is putting in the kind of effort to say look there are there there are ways to go about this that are responsible Mm -hmm. and not uh life ruining i think all of that is partially a, a, a through line in harmony corinne's work we're going to talk about some of his other stuff as well, but in a film like uh, The Beach Bum, for example, like the heightened reality and uh, comedic awfulness of the character is so elevated that really all you're left with, like the only thing that you can kind of feasibly wrap your head around uh, in that movie is like, okay, this is a guy who for a lot of reasons that will never be personally relevant to me has kind of like, fucked up his life and ruined mm-hmm. his relationships and so now i'm invested in watching him try to rebuild and repair those things even if they're such heightened and unnatural things the specifics aren't as valuable as the reality of the themes and the kind of universality of what the yeah, characters yeah. are trying to say i think that is partially true in in a movie like this as well where it's like these are all guys you could imagine yourself knowing or see yourself or a past version of yourself reflected in perhaps and it's not judging them and saying like, look, these are all bad people and there's no hope for them. They're they're bad people, obviously. But what it's kind of doing is being like, there's a way out. Um, and the onus is on you now, yeah. in a way. So wrapping it up, talking about the kids of kids. I mean, Rosario and Chloe, they went on to be... Top of the world, baby. Big ass celebrities, you know, like Chloe. Yeah. Chloe, friend of the show. That's not true. <laughs> Rosario, maybe enemy of the show. I think she did some hate crimes a couple years ago. But uh, this Allegedly. film definitely made some stars, which is cool because when it came out, it was not the uh, most accepted film by any means. I think it was, you know, it definitely had its uh, derision from wider society. But, uh, I mean, a surprisingly, surprisingly decent box office haul for sure. an NC-17 well, yeah. film about AIDS. I mean, it was like a cultural moment, right? Yeah. But it's not like it's not like everyone saw this movie and was like, "Man, <laughs> yeah, that's the one." These, are... but like, it did make stars. Like, it was big enough that Chloe and Rosario were basically able to build, you know, who they still are thirty I mean, even, years later off the success of it. Even. F- even Fitzpatrick had a, a career for a while. I think mm-hmm. he kind of just <laughs> didn't want it. <laughs> yeah, he went into the art world instead and seems yeah. to be doing well there. Justin Pierce went on to uh, start making his own name. He had like he was like a small character on Malcolm in the Middle for a little while. Yeah. Um, he was in 
one of the Friday movies. There's a really good scene with him in it that's very funny. Um, but he the, um, the Ice Cube ones or the Friday the Thirteenth movies. The Ice Cube ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, nice. But he ended up uh, taking his own life. I believe in 2001, he hung himself. Harold Hunter went on to become a huge name in skateboarding. Um, It still is, like, just a landmark figure in skateboarding. He um, died of a drug overdose in the 2000s. Um, But, like, you know, people went on to parlay this into good careers and good lives, unfortunately. Not everyone made it to the end. There's a lot of writing about that that I would highly recommend seeking out. If I can plug a few kids-adjacent things... um, I already did. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think like part of part of engaging with kids is reckoning with what happened after kids. Like Larry Clark, honestly, if you ask me, I love this movie to death. I don't know if he's worth thinking twice about at this point. I don't really <laughs> think he uh, has done uh, much worth afterwards. I think a lot of... I mean, we're probably not going to talk about it, but have you seen Bully? What's your thoughts on Bully? I've not seen any other Larry Clark film. Um, the Liz Fitzpatrick is in that movie. Um, I think a lot of people were not ready for the success of kids. And I think, you know, like there was a time and place Larry could have been kind of a um, a guardian for them or to help them navigate into adulthood. And he just was not. He was more interested. This is my personal perspective. He's more interested in the way kids can be fucked up than actually helping fucked mm. up kids. He wants, right. I find him very exploitative, to be frank. Um, that's kind of the, like, you know, I think that's what the documentary focuses mm-hmm. on in a lot of ways. Is like, um, you you read interviews with the, the uh, director of that, and he talks about the way it was just kind of meant to be, like, a therapeutic exercise for him. Yeah. And he realized he could, you know, turn it into an actual movie or something. But just about, like dealing with and unpacking with the way yeah this guy kind of leached on to this culture yeah. it for lack of a better term um and again made some great art and mm-hmm. really helped elevate some people's careers but at the end of the day used it as a stepping stool for himself uh, yeah to kind of further his career and like again it is never more transparently evident than when someone's making nfts of their own shit yeah 20 years later so or whatever i think it, and like selling out to supreme i think um if you want to read kind of about all that stuff and the kids from kids like literally it might be my favorite piece of writing on the internet which I'm, i don't mean to like paint that in a quarter it's just one of my favorite pieces of writing ever is um Caroline Rothenstein's piece for Narratively called Legends Never Die. Um, If you just Google Narratively, Legends Never Die, it'll come up. Uh, It's an incredible work. Like, that interviews a lot of the cast from this film about what happened afterwards. It is an incredibly emotional, moving piece that I think is, like, required reading if after you watch kids. It's just required reading in general. It's, It's incredible. Like, Caroline, I've been fortunate enough to interact with a couple times on twitter and every time it is me just gushing over her work for narratively it's incredible um patrick odell who for about a decade made skateboard documentaries for vice called epically latered in the very short run uh tv season that they did for vice tv on epically latered um basically all of epically latered is worth watching but harmony kareen has an episode that's now on youtube you can find that talks about Harmony's whole life and gets into um, 
gets into kids. Gummo talks to a lot of the cast, talks to Larry, talks to Hamilton, uh, talks to Leo Fitzpatrick, talks to Harmony as well. I think Chloe's interviewed as well for it. It gets into everything we've talked about. And then lastly, AJ. What's he doing? Unfortunately, I do not have the kids book, which I believe is like a photo production book. But I have the next best thing. Y'all, I don't know where you can find this. I found this. It was fucking (laughs) expensive. I found this at a Minneapolis bookstore. But it's a book called That's a Crazy One. And it is a photo book put together by two women. Um, God, let me find their names. You're showing me that you pull that book off your shelf. You know what I say? Tell me. That's a crazy one. Okay. Look at that thing. It's a... Okay, I can't find the names of the two women that put it together, but it is basically their photos of New York in the 90s, and they were part of a friend group that became kids. So there's tons of pictures of everyone that's in the movie, a bunch of stuff from uh, Harold and uh, oh, Justin yeah. and this. A lot of, There's a piece... Um, actually, here's a picture of Harold right here. Just all these like candid photos, you know, not taken to be part oh, wow. of an art project. <laughs> like these are just their personal photos um, put together that like captures the reality of these times that, you know, kids dramatize, dramatized. Oh, here's here's a party featuring a bunch of the kids, kids. Um, and there's some pretty strong writing in here, I believe, about Larry and Harmony in a uh, negative sense. Uh, oh, yeah, here's a picture of Justin um, right there. Bleecker Street. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. So this book is incredible. It's like such an amazing. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Here we go. On this page, you have pictures of Chloe and Harmony. Mm. And on this page is a scan of the open, open casting call for kids. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Chloe, yeah. There are a couple, uh, they must be pre-production stills of Chloe with that really tight haircut that yeah. I saw from this time. And I was like, her hair got a lot longer uh, in the time where they were all like hanging out and when they actually, you know, filmed the scenes that end up in the movie. Yeah. Um, I wish I could find what they wrote about kids in here. It's not positive. They're basically like, if I am paraphrasing slightly, I think it was basically like, uh, fuck that movie, fuck Larry Clark. <laughs> um, because, you know, like their friends died. Like, uh, so this yeah. is an amazing, like, a uh, nonfiction version, kind of a photo, photo collection of what inspired kids, the kids that, you know, found their way into it or inspired, like, the script of kids. So it's called That's a Crazy One. Can't recommend it enough. I paid too much fucking money for it. So good luck out there, viewer. <laughs> but please go buy it. And that's Please it. Just go spend your money responsibly. Playcaster endorses uh, exorbitant purchases. And then go buy the kids re-release because I never thought it would ever come out. Um, um, yeah, Umbrella I mean, Entertainment. it was a long fucking journey. Yeah, comes with uh, Hamilton. N- nasty old... I was going to say nasty old Harvey <laughs> Weinstein had his hands all over this movie for forever. Oh, that's a whole... Uh, it's finally... It's a finally... Esca- like, you know, this was one of the first Miramax movies. Um, and so it was kind of like, again had to be there yeah there's a rolling stone oral history that talks about how this film the the uh corporate i don't know uh jujitsu they had to do just to it was, get this film out that is pretty wild it was originally going to be released by disney um 
Yeah, they had before they were like NC seventeen. Whoa. Yeah, they had to set up Excalibur Entertainment, a company yeah. that hadn't existed before to distribute it. Uh, so yeah, the, the Rolling another... Stone oral history. Go seek that out. It's also good. Yeah, one of my favorite anecdotes from that piece is um, they they bring the movie to the MPAA or whatever to get it like reviewed and rated, and they were just like, yeah, oh, instantly NC seventeen. But when uh, Larry Clark and and they were like, oh, you know, we can recut it and try to remove stuff the mpa was like look don't like <laughs> the movie's not worthwhile if you try to cut it right. down to being an r just fucking release it unrated um which it wasn't isn't and does a good fucking movie uh some would say the best movie of all time some would say the best movie of all time let's see that's a crazy one by book let's see how much this shit's going for this is on the that's a crazy one website more info. Out of stock. God. I can't imagine, dude. Um, it's what you never want to see when you look I up can't even, how much can I buy this book for. I can't even find it. I don't know where you buy it. I was lucky to just find it. Yeah, good luck out there. But it is a crazy book worth... Uh, it seems to be out of stock most places. Um, anyway, good luck. Uh, if anything, this movie is a cautionary tale. Don't ever move to New York. Don't do it. <laughs> Never do it with another friend of yours. Uh-uh. Doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. But AJ, maybe one day I'll let you look at that book. Yeah, we never know anything about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, fucking next week. I mean, Gummo, another banger. We're just rolling through it. July, uh, all bangers, potentially. Uh, two of the movies Blake hasn't seen. I still have to watch one of them. Have you seen Gummo? Yeah. Uh, okay. We're both, um, we talked about this already, but we're both watching Demon Lover for the first time on the Criterion That's right. channel. That's right. And to take us out, I have just one last thing to say. Uh, Demon Lover. Come on. I hardly know her. Oh, you, can't, you can't do that. <laughs> this is the wrong episode. For I got to get it out before the actual episode because we can't, you know, can't, can't get derailed. <sighs> Bye.